Hello, my name is Sue Wood, and today I'm reading from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, your word is able to make us wise for salvation. So please make us wise as we read it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, the Bible passage that we are looking at today is all about the topic of Christian leadership. Uh, really, the question that kind of sits behind this is who should you have as your pastor? Who should you long to have as, uh, you know, the teacher and the leader in your church? Uh, that's the question underneath this passage today. And so right off the bat, I just want to say it's a little bit awkward for me to teach on it, given the position that I'm in as your pastor. Uh, but I do want to help us to try and think through this question as best as I can uh, from this passage. I wonder if, I'm not about to, but if I resigned from my position here at WBC, I wonder who would you call as your next pastor? What kind of person would you look at? Or actually, maybe a bit better yet, another question. As we move towards planting a church and calling a church planter to come and be a part of our, our church family and to go out and plant from us, what kind of person are you looking for? Who do you hope for in that, those kind of characteristics of that person? I hope as you think about that question, you wouldn't come up with 
the same kind of list that the world would come up with. What has this person got to be like? Well, you know, a high flyer and a, an entrepreneur, a real academic achiever, you know, some of those qualities, they're, they're all well and good, they're fine things, but really that's how the world thinks about what qualifies somebody for leadership. Put another, another spin on this question. Who are the people that you would want to teach you and care for you in your home group? What do you look for in a home group leader that makes you think, yeah, I want to sit underneath that person? Or let's have a think about our kids' ministry here at church. Who are the people that you think are fit for that job to be in kids' ministry? Who do you want teaching your kids here? Is it just those who are available and willing to kind of give the time to do it? Or are there some character traits? They have to look like something to be kind of qualified and eligible. What kind of qualities do you want to see in the ministry leaders and the elders and the pastors here at church? Maybe you can think about it this way. I'll make it a little bit more personal. Assuming uh, that you're somebody who reads uh, Christian books, and I hope that you are, or maybe you listen to podcasts, find sermons from other churches during the week, who do you choose to listen to? How do you make that decision about who you're going to listen to? Do you just search out kind of the most entertaining preachers? Is it those with the best illustrations, the best cultural kind of engagement that you go and, and listen to? Those who just say nice things about you, perhaps. Maybe they're the people you go and listen to. Well, the passage that we're reading today is going to have a lot to say to us about who the Christian leaders are that you should choose to follow. And I hope that the result, after spending a bit of time in this passage today, is that you will be all the more discerning rather, about who you listen to. But if you're someone in our church who is a leader or a teacher of the Bible or a teacher of the Bible in any context, really, say you're a home group leader or a kids' church teacher or you're even just a parent who teaches your kids the Bible, well, this passage is also going to say something to you. It's going to show you what you ought to look like as a leader. Now, we've already seen over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking in 1 Timothy about how there is this problem in Ephesus where Timothy is based. And the problem is that there are these false teachers who are leading people astray. And when we get to this passage, we can see already straight off the bat that there's obviously been some friction in the church. Uh, verse 14 warns against quarreling about words. Verse 16 speaks, about, uh, speaks against this godless chatter that's going on. There's some friction here with some other leaders. And, and Paul, in fact, is not afraid to name names. He mentions two people specifically, Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he says there in verse 17, they have departed from the truth. Which, just think about what that means for a second. These false teachers in the church in Ephesus, they've departed from the truth, which means what? It means that they once believed the truth. It means they once taught the truth, that they once lived the truth. They were once on the team, you know, they were evangelicals. They were Bible-believing gospel preachers. But over time, they wandered. Actually, if you look back at the first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul names them again. He says that Timothy, that, that Hymenaeus and Philetus are actually no longer believers. They have shipwrecked their faith. But in Ephesus, in the church there, these two guys are still popular. They can still draw a crowd because... They appear as Christians, right? They use Christian language. Verse 18, it tells us that their, their teaching has got something to say about the resurrection. They're saying that the resurrection has already taken place. 
which I think means what they're saying is that there's no future resurrection because, well, we've already been raised with Christ. I mean, you can kind of imagine how that logic would go. Imagine Hymenaeus saying, Mark, you know, you you died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And I'd be nodding my head. Yeah, well, Mark, you're reigning with Christ right now, seated in the heavenly realms. And so, Mark, you can enjoy all the benefits of the resurrection right now. You can experience no sickness, no suffering right now. You can experience full satisfaction right now. You can enjoy all those benefits of the resurrection today because you're in Christ. It sounds to me a lot like some of the prosperity preachers that you might come across today. And Paul says, sadly, that their teaching is spreading like gangrene in the church. Now, I don't know if you know what gangrene looks like. I didn't. Uh, and so I Google searched it this week and I can confirm that that's what you shouldn't do. Uh, quite disgusting. Uh, gangrene is where the flesh basically starts rotting and eating itself. And the scary thing about gangrene, I discovered, is that it quite often doesn't get recognized until it's too late, until it's set in, you see. Gangrene is subtle, just like these false teachers here. You see, when we hear those words, false teachers, I think probably the image that comes into our mind is a bit like one of those pantomime villains, you know, who walks on stage like greedily rubbing their hands and twirling their evil looking mustache. And we think, oh, I'd be able to spot a false teacher. But actually, no, these false teachers, they look like Christians. They're in the church. They've got an audience. And can I say to you, friends, actually, you don't have to look very far today to find people who fit into that category. They twist the scriptures to mean things that they never actually meant. I mean, you can look on the bookshelves at almost any Christian bookstore, or you could look at the list of the most downloaded Christian podcasts. There are plenty of so-called Christian leaders like Hymenaeus and Philetus, and it's a tragedy because the result is, Paul says here, that the people who follow those leaders, they have their faith destroyed, verse 18. It actually does real spiritual harm if you believe the wrong things. And do recognize that that, that is so contrary to the spirit of our age, isn't it? Our age, which is all about our tolerance and, and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And the, the Bible says, no, actually, there is truth and there is error and error destroys people. But the truth brings life. And so a Christian leader must get it right. And in these verses, Paul is going to show Timothy what a good godly Christian leader looks like so that he will aspire to be one and so that the church in Ephesus will know which leaders to follow. And what we're going to see in this passage are three images to help us understand what godly leadership looks like. Three images. The first image that we see here is of the unashamed workman who correctly handles the word of truth. The first picture of godly leadership, the unashamed workman who correctly handles the word of truth. Let's read from verse 15. Paul writes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So you see, in contrast to the false teachers, 
It's the task of the godly leader to correctly handle the word of truth. I mean, that is central to the job description of basically any godly leader amongst God's people. Uh, Paul has said this a number of times to Timothy already about how crucial it is that central to his role is the proclamation of God's word. Think back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching, right? Teaching the Bible, it's to be the bread and butter of a good godly Christian leader. But the emphasis really here in this instruction is on being someone who correctly handles God's word. And the word that we translate there as correctly handles, um, it's a bit of a funny Greek word. It literally means to cut straight. And so the unashamed worker is one who cuts God's word straight. And that's, it's actually language which is kind of used when somebody would have been making a road. They would need to cut a straight path for the road. And so essentially what Timothy is being told here is to cut a straight road as carefully as he can as he teaches God's word to the church, not deviating, not turning off from the grace that is in Christ Jesus, chapter 2, verse 1, presenting Jesus as the focus of all of God's word, as the risen Christ, chapter 2, verse 8, who alone offers salvation and glory, chapter 2, verse 10. Right? Timothy is to teach the pure, unadulterated gospel. He's not to swerve from that gospel path in his preaching. And nor is he to pull his punches or to compromise that message, you know, making it more palatable for people. He's not to get sidetracked by hobby horses or trivialities, wasting his breath on empty words, because teaching like that, verse 16, only makes the people who listen to it more ungodly. And the goal of a godly leader ought to be the godliness of those he leads. And so Timothy is to keep his focus on Christ crucified. It's the message of the gospel which saves us and which starts us off in the Christian life. And it's the message of the gospel which continues to transform us and it keeps us growing in godliness. And so Timothy is to cut a straight path as he teaches God's word. And I do hope that you find in this church, in WBC, that you can't go a week without being reminded again of the gospel. I hope that's true. I hope that you never hear a sermon in our church in which Jesus is absent, because if that happens, then we have failed you as your pastors. And I hope that if you're reading Christian books or listening to podcasts of any Christian leaders and their focus is anything other than the gospel of Jesus, I hope that you will be very cautious of that, because it might just be that those leaders have swerved from the path. Godly leaders cut straight paths as they teach the Bible. And Paul wants Timothy to know that this, it is going to be hard work to be that kind of a gospel worker. He tells him in, in verse 15 to do his best to be that kind of a worker. You know, a bit like that hardworking farmer that we read about earlier in the chapter. Uh, this handling of God's word correctly is going to require effort. <laughs> this godly leader is going to have to break a spiritual sweat. Um, I've, I've had conversations with Christians some at this church who uh, have assumed that uh, preparing to teach the Bible in a you know format such as this takes an hour or two uh, to prepare. And uh, let me say, maybe for some exceptionally gifted people, that's the case. Uh, but of the pastors that I know, 
most of them spend upwards of 20 hours a week preparing a sermon, and often more than that. And, and I say that not because I'm looking for sympathy, I'm really not, <laughs> but because I want you to know that there is a serious weight and responsibility to correctly handle God's word. Uh, any leader who doesn't take this responsibility seriously and who doesn't do his best, as Paul says, they're doing you a disservice. Uh, one of my lecturers at Bible college who taught me how to preach, he used to remind us uh, quite regularly that every time you preach, someone suffers. Either you suffer in preparation or the hearers suffer. I think there's some truth there. And a godly leader is prepared to carry that burden. But you see, the, the good workman who, who handles God's word correctly, he's not doing it for the approval of others. He's doing it for the approval of God. Paul says there in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And so if you are a teacher of the Bible in any context, then you need to remember that God has put you in that position. And one day you'll give an account to him for how you taught and led others. So work hard at it. Do it as best as you can. Uh, and, and if you're not a teacher of the Bible, but someone who listens to teachers of the Bible, which, hey, if you're listening to me today, you are, then it's worth considering whether the person that you listen to is only ever telling you things that you want to hear and that make you feel comfortable and, and validated. Because if that's the case, you should be very cautious of that person because the, the, the teaching of the true gospel for God's approval, will at times cause offence. And at times it will unsettle you. And if that teacher is trying to please you, then you will never feel challenged or convicted. Everything they say will just be a nice big pat on the back for you. You're doing great. Keep it up. Christian life is easy. Come and put your feet up and enjoy. But if that teacher is trying to please God, then at times you won't like what they're calling you to to repentance, to sacrificial love, to suffering. You see, godly leaders cut straight paths as they teach the Bible, regardless of whether that's popular or convenient. That's the first image that Paul gives us here of good godly leaders. The second image that he gives us comes from uh, verse 20 to 22. It's the image of a clean vessel who pursues purity, a clean vessel who pursues purity. Let me pick up from verse 20. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, the imagery here is pretty simple to understand, I think. It's of a large house, which I think represents the church. And Paul says that it's filled with different kinds of utensils, right? Some gold and silver for special purposes and some wood and clay for common purposes. And those two types of utensils, I think, represent two types of teachers, some good and some false. You know, your Timothys and your Hymenaeuses, if I can put it like that. There's one type that are used by the master for noble or honourable purposes, and one that are for ordinary or dishonourable purposes. And so what is it that distinguishes these two groups? Well, verse 21 says, it's those who cleanse themselves from the latter. They will be instruments of special purposes. Now, it's a little bit confusing. 
literally the Greek words there are those who cleanse themselves from these things. Uh, and so what is these things referring to? Well, I think it's referring to the false teaching of people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, as well as that lifestyle of godlessness that comes from their false teaching, that which Paul has just been talking about in the verses beforehand. And so these instruments for special purposes, they are people who have been cleansed, purified, both in terms of their doctrine and their lifestyle. It's what they teach and how they live. A good godly leader who is worth following is someone who is holy. Uh, they're the ones who are useful to the master. It's those ones. And verse 22 actually spells out and explains to us exactly how those leaders are to purify themselves. So look at verse 22. Paul says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so notice in, in that verse that there's both a, a negative and a positive side to that command. Negatively, we must flee uh, the evil desires of youth. And perhaps as you hear that phrase, you might think that Paul is talking about uh, sexual sin, which is certainly a major temptation that young men are to flee. But remember that, that Timothy isn't exactly a young man here. He's likely in his 30s or 40s at this point. And so I think it's actually better to understand these evil desires that he's to flee as actually the temptation to quarrel and to be unkind or to be harsh. Uh, I know that when I first started as a pastor almost 10 years ago, my temptation was towards arrogance and impatience. And that's something that I still need to keep in check because when you're young, you tend to think that you've got all the answers and that anyone who disagrees with you must be you know, pummeled into submission. You tend to be more concerned, I think, about winning the argument than winning the person. And godly leaders mustn't be like that. Uh, they must flee from that attitude. Instead, on, on the positive side, Paul tells Timothy to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And the contrast there couldn't be clearer, could it? Uh, the word uh, flee, flee from the evil desires of youth, uh, is the Greek word fuego. Uh, it's the word from which we get our English word fugitive, right? And so um, Paul is saying to Timothy, you know, run like Harrison Ford away from youth's passions, be a fugitive. Uh, but the term pursue, well, that's about actually sort of running the opposite way. It's running towards something, chasing after something so that you can catch it. What are, what are they to pursue, godly leaders? Well, they're to pursue those traits which belong to Jesus, righteousness, faith, love, peace. Now, of course, pursuing those things is not just an instruction for Christian leaders, as if you know it's only them who need to pursue righteousness. No, clearly, this is an instruction for all Christians. We are all to flee from sin and to pursue Christ-likeness. Uh, we, the way that we do that, though, is, is not just through kind of you know, trying to muster up enough self-control to overcome that temptation. No, actually, we've got to make sure that we are moving towards God in faith, that we're pursuing him. And the way you do that is that you, you think and you reflect and you meditate on the person of Christ. You learn to savour his goodness and his excellence. You pursue him that way with your heart. You learn to delight in his finished work and, and delight in the position that you have as a beloved child of his. 
you, you read and you pray so that you can see and behold the glory of Christ. And as you behold his glory, you start to grow in godliness, in Christ-likeness. You're transformed to become more and more like our Saviour. And friends, if you want to be someone who is useful to the master, it's that kind of holiness that you need to pursue. The uh, Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, uh, he once wrote to a young pastor in training and he said this to him. He said, I know you will apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man. I mean of the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his sabre clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. <laughs> you see, the criteria for usefulness to God is not skill, but holiness. So if we neglect the importance of being a clean vessel, then, friends, we will forfeit the privilege of being used by God. Do you know, that is why we tell all of our volunteers at WBC that character is king. Character is king. It comes well before competency and conviction. Character is king because it doesn't matter how well trained you are or how well prepared you are unless you are living a life of Christian integrity, unless you are pursuing holiness. God will simply not work through you. And I think that's something for us to consider in the midst of this lockdown when, you know, you and I, let's be honest, we've got a lot of free time on our hands. I wonder, are you using that time? to grow in holiness and to pursue Christ so that you will be useful to your master. Uh, when are you ever going to get a time like this again when you have so much time to work on your inner man? It would be such a shame, I think, if we wasted this time on frivolous things. Good leaders who are worth following will pursue purity so that they are a clean vessel useful to the master. That's the second picture Paul gives us in this passage. Uh, the third and, and final picture that we, we see here uh, from verse 23 onwards is of someone that Paul calls the Lord's servant. And we're going to see that this Lord's servant deals gently with people. Let's read from verse 24. Paul says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. The, um, the, the picture here is of someone who knows how to navigate the minefield of opposition and controversy, which inevitably comes uh, when you step up to lead. Um, Paul tells Timothy here in verse 23 to avoid foolish and stupid arguments. Um, he actually said a similar thing back in his first letter. He warned Timothy not to waste time uh, debating with the false teachers about speculations and myths and genealogies because those things don't deserve his time and his energy. They only lead to division and quarrelling. And Timothy's got bigger fish to fry. He's got to focus on teaching the scriptures, not all that peripheral speculative stuff. Now, that's not to say, though, that the Lord's servant doesn't ever need to correct people. No, actually, in verse 25... 
Now, Paul says that the Lord's servant is to instruct their opponents, uh, presumably because there are some things that are worth correcting. There are some theological hills that are worth dying on. you just got to know which is which. You see, when, when Hymenaeus and Philetus are destroying people's faith by claiming that the resurrection has already taken place, well, that's got to be responded to. But, you know, when you think differently to me about the presence of angels or something, well, you know, probably I'm happy to let that one go through to the keeper. The key, you see, for the Lord's servant here is the manner in which they engage with the people that they're teaching. They must be kind to everyone, verse 24. They must be not resentful. They must instruct their opponents gently, verse 25. You see, standing for the truth as this leader is supposed to do, teaching the truth, but doing it in an aggressive or an unloving or an uncharitable way, that's not fitting for the Lord's servant. Uh, I've been listening lately to a podcast series uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, it's a podcast which follows the story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, and uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll, who was the bombastic personality at the centre of it all. Uh, Mars Hill was an incredible success story for about 15 years. It grew to over 15,000 members. And for the most part, for most of that time, uh, Driscoll, if I can put it like this, was on the same team as us. Uh, he was a, a gospel-centred, Bible-believing evangelical. But what set Driscoll apart was the anger that was so often displayed in his preaching. Uh, he was famous basically for yelling at people, for telling them to stop being so stupid, for, for ridiculing and mocking his opponents. He was the, the type of guy that you'd listen to one of his sermons and you'd leave with bruises. And to some degree, that was part of his appeal. I've got to say, it appealed to me as a young man, as a young Christian. But you see, the Apostle Paul would say that such behavior, well, that's unfitting for someone who serves the Lord. It's unfitting because that kind of behavior is incongruous with the message that they're teaching. The message that the Lord's servant is to teach is, is the gospel that the King of Kings was humbled unto death. The message that they are to teach is that Jesus didn't use his power to exalt himself. He didn't retaliate against his opponents. He laid down his rights and privileges, and he chose to be reviled and rejected for the good of his enemies. And so if someone is teaching that message, and if someone represents that king, how can they be arrogant and condescending and impatient and angry? Any leader who speaks about Jesus ought to be it ought to resemble Jesus in his gentle, loving kindness towards his opponents. It's that kind of posture of gentleness that I think leaves room for God's work in granting repentance to people. That seems to be the point in verse 25. The Lord's servant must be someone who deals gently with others. So those are the three pictures that we see in this passage of good leadership, which is worth following. The unashamed workman, the clean vessel, and the Lord's servant. And I hope, friends, that as you've heard this today, you might be starting to, to check the people that you are listening to, the leaders who you've set up over yourself, and that you are willing to let lead you, that you, that you might be checking whether they are people who resemble these pictures. I hope 
as a result of what we've talked about today, that you will be discerning about who you trust to lead you. I, I want to say that, honestly, as I've been sitting with this passage this week, I have felt a great deal of pressure as I've read it because clearly the bar for leaders here is set very high. Um, the Apostle Paul himself, who wrote this, when he reflected on the task of being a minister of the gospel in the book of 1 Corinthians, at, at one point he cries out, who is sufficient for these things? And I've got to say, as a leader, I often feel insufficient for this task. I, I know that I often fall short, and I suspect if you are someone who has any responsibility of leadership, then you probably feel that too from time to time. And so if that's you, then let me encourage and comfort you today, friends. Let me remind you that while we will fail at all of these tasks from time to time, there is one who fulfilled them all, Jesus, who was the ultimate unashamed workman. He taught God's word perfectly, leading us on the path of eternal life. Jesus was the ultimate clean vessel. He embodied that righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And he was set apart for the special purpose of rescuing sinners like you and I. Jesus was the ultimate Lord's servant. He was gentle and humble in heart. He was kind towards his enemies, and he brought repentance to many. Jesus is the perfect leader. He is the model for all of us. But here's the comfort, friends, for those of you who are in positions of leadership. Jesus is not just our example. He is our strength. As we rely on him, as chapter 2, verse 1 reminds us, to, as we are strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, as we rely on the strength of his spirit, the spirit of power that he has given us, we are able to be people who live up to these requirements. We can be useful to our master. We can please him in every good work. And so let me encourage you, friends, during this lockdown time, use this time well. Grow in holiness. Aspire to be leaders such as these for the good of God's people. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is our perfect example and we thank you that he is the one who gives us the strength and the power to be these kinds of leaders you are asking us to be. We know that we have no strength in and of ourselves. We are dead in sins and transgressions unless you raise us up. And so we thank you for loving us, for dying for us, for giving us your spirit. Uh, Lord, please help us to be people who are discerning about who we trust and who we let lead us. Help us to recognize false teachers and to respond rightly to them. We pray for all of those who serve and lead in our church family. Help us, please, Father, to be people who are worthy of this privilege, worthy of this honour of being called under-shepherds to our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.